John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. O Lord, we ask now that you would open our ears, that we may hear your voice, that you would open our eyes, that we may see your glory, and that you would open our hearts that we may know your truth. Show us Christ, in whose name we pray this morning. Amen. All right, well, today we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John, and we're still in John's prologue. For those who do not know or need a refresher on what a prologue is, it basically introduces the basic plot of a story It helps the reader understand key themes and characters and issues. It sets the scene for what you're about to read. If you've ever watched Star Wars and you see that rolling screen at the beginning of each movie, and it begins with those words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then the words begin to scroll and scroll. It gives you the backstory of the movie. That's a prologue. And to be honest with you all, I have never read the Star Wars prologue. (laughs) But don't be like me. Prologues are important. We must pay attention. And here in this prologue, John is setting the scene for his gospel and explaining to us words and themes that will show up as we continue to read and study this great book. In a little recap, last week we looked at verses 1 through 5, which describe Jesus as the word, the ultimate revealer of God, the one who existed forever with God the Father. And John tells us right off the bat, Jesus is God. Jesus is God, and all things were made through him. And if he's the one who brought life and light at the beginning out of nothing, then he is able to bring life and light in order to redeem our fallen world. He is the one who brings life and light into the dark world of sin and death. And in our text this morning, John moves us from that realm of eternity into the realm of time and human history. And we are presented with two very different responses to Jesus. There are those who receive him. And then there are those who reject him. At the end of the day, there are only two responses to Jesus. So today, I want you to think about this. What is your response to Jesus? 
Do you walk in the light as he is in the light? Or are you remaining in darkness? Some people find it offensive that there are only two responses to Jesus. And as Christians, we have no interest in offending people. But we do have great interest in sharing the message, the good news of Jesus Christ, which always has been and always will be offensive to some. This morning, it is a great blessing to hear the gospel. We sung the gospel. We heard the gospel in the scripture that was read. It's a great blessing to hear the gospel because it's the only message that can save you from your sins. But at the same time, because it presents Jesus as the light, it shines light on our dark hearts. It exposes our sin. And then we are called to respond, to receive Jesus or reject him. There is no middle ground. You either receive him or you reject him. You either step into the light or you hide in the darkness. Verse 9 tells us that the light has been made visible to everyone. Some run towards that light and some hide from it. But before talking about the responses to the light, John talks about one who points to the light. Today, the structure of my sermon will follow the structure of the text. We will see in verses 6 through 8, the witness for Jesus. In verse 9, the coming of Jesus. In verses 10 and 11, the rejection of Jesus. And in verse 13, the receiving of Jesus. And my main point this morning, what I hope you see in the text is this. Only those who are born of God believe in Jesus and have the right to become the children of God. Only those who are born of God believe in Jesus and have the right to become children of God. Take a look at verse 6, the witness for Jesus. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this isn't John, the author of this book. John, the author of, his, of this book, refers to himself later on as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Imagine having such a deep sense of Jesus' love for you that you describe yourself as the one whom Jesus loved. But the John mentioned here is the one that we know as John the Baptist. And this John appears in all four Gospels, which shows just how important he is to the story of Jesus. He was sent from God, meaning that there was a specific task given to him by God, and his task was to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. And so God sends him to be a witness. Look at verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. In the other Gospels, John appears as one who preaches a message of repentance. He appears as the one who baptizes. But in the Gospel of John, he is simply called a witness. 
In a courtroom, when a witness is called to the stand, what are they asked to do? They're asked to testify to what they actually saw or heard. They are to tell the truth, not what they think or they feel. They are to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. John came as a witness to testify about the light. Think about this for a second. If you and I were in a dark room and someone was coming in with light, would we need someone else to come into the room and tell us that light was coming into the room? No, right? The second the light comes into the room, we would see that light and know that light had come. So then why does God send John the Baptist as a witness to the light? Because of spiritual blindness. We cannot see. The fact that mankind needed to be told that the light had come shows just how fallen and blinded by sin we all are. John the Baptist came as a witness to tell all who Jesus is and what he was going to do. And in verse 8 it says, He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John's ministry was not to build his own reputation, to build his own brand or create his own following. No, he was not the light. His message did not point to himself. He pointed to the light. In a world full of darkness, John shined the light of Jesus. Think about the relationship between the sun and the moon. At night, when the moon is full, bright, and out there in its fullness, we know that it has no light of its own. It's the sun shining onto the moon, reflecting itself. The moon reflects the sun. And this is what our text is saying, that John isn't the light, but is shining the light of Christ into a world that is lost in darkness. John is like the moon. He shines the light of the Son of God. Jesus in chapter 5 describes John as a burning and shining lamp. Not a burning and shining light, but a lamp. A lamp doesn't have light of its own. John is like a flashlight in the dark. And John's prime concern in the bearing witness, take a look at verse 7 again. That all might believe through him. This is the first time that that word believe shows up in John's gospel. Remember, the gospel of John was written to persuade people to believe in Jesus and to continue believing in Jesus. Is that our goal? as we evangelize? Is that our goal as we have outreach events to the community? John's witness had nothing to do with checking some box that he shared the gospel. It wasn't about feeling good because he was telling others about the darkness that they had within. It wasn't feeling good because he was meeting some sort of physical need. No, his purpose in witnessing was so that people would believe in Jesus. 
Maybe if we made this our purpose, our evangelism efforts would increase. Instead of thinking about ourselves, less about what could potentially happen to us if we share this offensive message, and more about the people around us who are lost in darkness. The goal isn't to share the gospel so that we have more people joining us on Sunday mornings or becoming a part of this church. The goal, the goal in all witnessing is so that people would believe in Jesus. The Baptist bore witness about Jesus so that all might believe. And this is what we are called to do. God has called all of us who are Christians as witnesses. And so just to be clear, you aren't being a witness by just living the Christian life, doing things that you're supposed to do and not doing things you're not supposed to do. Yes, it's important to live that way, but that in and of itself is not witnessing. Since people do watch the way that we live our lives, yes, it's important to live the way that God has called us to, but that is not witnessing. Witnessing is speaking to others about Jesus Christ. We must tell people who Jesus is. And we must tell them what he has said about sin. We don't do anyone a service when we downplay sin in this world. Sin is what separates us from the holy God, and it brings death. And when we choose to ignore it or speak around it, we actually hurt those we are witnessing to. When we downplay sin in order to fit in and keep the peace, we actually don't allow people to see their need for the gospel. When we witness to people, we must share them what Jesus has said about sin. And then we tell them why his death and resurrection are the solution to the problem of sin. And then explain to them how they are to come into a relationship with him by turning from their sins and believing in him. Remember, our witnessing about Jesus, it's not about going through the motions because God has called us to share the gospel. It's not about winning an argument. It's not about people coming to our church. It's about desiring for someone to believe and know Jesus Christ. To believe in him. John came bearing witness about the light. He was not the light, but take a look at verse 9, the coming of Jesus. The true light, which gave light to everyone, was coming into the world. And as we saw last week, Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus is the true light. He is the authentic light, the genuine light. James Montgomery Boyce says this, Christ alone is the light that enlightens all darkness and gives illumination spiritually. The light of Christ reveals the sin of man. It reveals the ugly and wickedness of our own hearts. Just like the light of the sun that comes in through a window, everyone experiences it. But people have different reactions. Some receive the light, they welcome the light, and some reject it and hide it. 
Without Jesus, the world remains in darkness, separated from God. But the true light was coming into the world. John could have been thinking of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, which says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And Jesus himself says in John chapter 12, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The coming of Jesus. And in verses 10 and 11, we see the rejection of Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He was in the world. Remember who we're talking about here. The Word. The one who was there in the beginning. The one who was with God and the one who is God. He was in the world. The creator of the world came down to his creation. If ever there was someone who deserved recognition, who deserved to walk the red carpet, who deserved the most warm welcome, it was Jesus. But how did the world respond? The world did not know him. Those in the world were so blinded by their sin that they did not even see or recognize the light, even though that they were made by, by that very light. Think about this, the one who gives life to everything, the one who designed every tree and plant and designed it in their specific and certain ways, he was in the world, and that world did not recognize him. Some of you may know who Franklin Lloyd Wright is. He was a famous architect, and he built some beautiful homes all over the country and some overseas as well. But imagine Franklin Lloyd Wright showing up on the doorstep of one of these homes that he had designed, and he rings the doorbell. And as he looks inside, he sees that it's kind of run down. And finally, the owner comes to the door, and Franklin says, I am the one who designed this house. We would expect the homeowner to let him in. This house would not exist if it weren't for this man. But the owner says, I don't care who you are. Go away. Get off my doorstep. This is how the world responded to the light, to the one who created it. The creator steps down to his creation. He's unrecognized. He's unwanted. Even though the true light has come into the world, this doesn't mean that all will receive that light. In John's gospel, Jesus says that there are those who hate the light and love the darkness. And they do this because their works are evil. So what are you doing with this Jesus, the light of the world? Do you know him? Or are you like the world who rejected him? Verse 11 says, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came to his own people. He came to the people of Israel, and they did not receive him. These were the people whom, in Deuteronomy, God says, I have chosen you as my treasured possession. 
not because you were more in number, but because I set my love on you. But these people, his own people, did not receive him. They had the law. They had the prophets who prophesied about the Messiah. They had John the Baptist who came specifically to testify to them about the light. If anyone were to recognize him, it would be his own people. Not only did they not recognize him, but they did not receive him. They did not welcome him as the Messiah. They rejected him. They gathered together against him. They crucified him and killed him. We see here the wickedness of man's heart. Truly darkness was in the world. Jesus was rejected by his own people. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But we are no different than they are. The reaction of Israel is actually the same reaction of all mankind towards Christ coming into this world. And think of this, the people of Israel only had the Old Testament. They didn't have personal Bibles like we do today. Most of the people heard the word of God. They didn't have their own copy. We have an extra advantage, not only because we have Bibles all over our homes, Bibles on our phones, but we have the New Testament that speaks of how Jesus fulfills the law and has died for our sins. But by our nature, we don't want to receive the Son of God, whom God the Father has sent. By our nature, we live in darkness and we actually like our sin. We love our sin. Paul says in Ephesians that on our own, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, living in the passions of the flesh, and by nature, children of wrath. Sin has darkened our own understanding. We cannot recognize or receive Jesus in a way that he deserves. The world didn't know him. His own people did not receive him. And by our own nature, we are the same. But there is good news. Verse 12, the receiving of Jesus. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here is the hope in our text this morning. Some very smart people call this the heart of John's prologue. Remember, John's purpose is in his writing of this gospel is that you would believe. And while most people in the world did not recognize him, his own people rejected him, there were still some who received him and believed in his name. Not all rejected him. But what makes the difference? What was it that made them believe? John explains in verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. But of God. Why did they receive and believe in him? Because they had been born of God or born again. You may have heard that term before, born again. I'm a born again Christian. 
The doctrine associated with this truth is often called the doctrine of regeneration or the doctrine of the new birth. As we have seen, the world is in darkness, and because of sin, mankind is spiritually dead. This means that we have been separated from God, and wickedness now influences our thoughts and actions and emotions. So how does one become born again? How does one go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive? Do you decide to come to life? No. Dead people cannot do that. Dead people cannot decide to come to life. To life. Jesus and Nicodemus have a conversation about this in John chapter 3. Jesus tells him, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus explains to him that he's not talking about being physically born, but being spiritually reborn. It's not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Because of God's mercy and love, we are made alive. We are brought to life by Christ. God does this. He brings life. He is the one who calls men and women from death to eternal life. You don't become a child of God because of blood. Under the old covenant, the people of God were born of blood because they were descendants of Abraham. They were marked as God's people. But here we see in the new, new covenant is that it doesn't depend on your ancestry. The godly people in your family tree don't give you a pass. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christians. Your nationality, your ethnicity doesn't make you a child of God. It's not of blood, nor is it the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. It's not based on human choice. You don't get to decide to be born again. It's not about the things you do. Acting the part doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. Because you serve in your community doesn't mean you are a child of God. It's not because of who your parents are or any desire that you feel or any choice you feel like you have made. God has to do this. This is only a work of God in our hearts. He is the one who brings about new life, and it's all of grace. When God regenerates your heart, you actually change. God takes a heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh. You turn from your sin and you turn towards the light. The sinful and evil desires that you once had begin to be replaced with a desire for God and doing what pleases him. The simplicity of the gospel is seen in those last three words of verse 13. But of God. Salvation is all of God. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. To be born again is an act of grace alone, and only God can bring us to new spiritual life. And the evidence that you have been born again is that you believe in Jesus. It's only those who receive Christ, who believe in his name, who have the right to become children of God. To receive Christ is to welcome him into your life, not just for a moment so that you have some sort of spiritual experience and then you move on. No, receiving Jesus into your life means bringing him into your life, welcoming him into your home, into your school, into your work, to your marriage, your dreams, your whole entire life. Notice in our text, it's not only receiving, but believing in his name. Believing here doesn't mean that you believe a whole bunch of doctrine, a whole bunch of truths. It's not just believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Here what John is getting at and saying believing in his name is believing in the person of Jesus, who he is and what he has done. To believe that he is God, to believe that he is the creator of the world, to believe that because of his life, death, and resurrection, you can be saved from your sins and receive eternal life. And this receiving and believing involves a deep humbling of ourselves and being satisfied in nothing other than Jesus. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's an amazing privilege to be called a child of God. If you believe in Jesus, think about this amazing privilege that you have. There are billions of people on the planet who do not know him. But you get to call God your father. You are adopted into God's family. You have many, many brothers and sisters, including some of those in other countries. You are deeply loved, deeply loved by the most powerful person in the universe. And nothing can separate you from that love. But there are many people in the world today and a lot of people within the church who believe that we all are God's children, meaning every one of us. And this is far from the truth. Yes, we are all made in the image of God, but not all are children of God. Those who reject Jesus are not children of God. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And so you must ask the question, have I been born again? Am I a child of God? Because the Bible tells us you are either a child of God or a child of wrath. Which one are you? If you are here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God, there are two great obstacles between you and eternal life. One 
is that you are dead spiritually, lifeless until you are born of God. And two, you are a guilty sinner who is under the wrath of God, a child of wrath. But there is hope. And I hope you hear this this morning. There is hope. God has provided a way. The fact that you are here this morning listening to God's word means that some of you are here not because of anything other than the plan of God. He's been working in your heart. He wants you to hear the gospel this morning. He wants you to hear his saving message. And later on in in the gospel, John the Baptist says this when he sees Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, Jesus came as the light to expose the darkness, to expose the sin in our lives. But Jesus also came to save us from our sins. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of those who believe in him. There is salvation offered to sinners like you and me. And it's free. And it's offered to you this morning. Do you desire to become a child of God? If you do, then that means that God is working in your heart, changing you to be born of him. So receive and believe Jesus. This is why John wrote this gospel, that you would believe. And then for those who are children of God, consider the amazing grace of God towards you, that he has caused us to be born again, and he has given us the right, the right to become his children. You know that hymn? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen? Amen. So if we believe that Jesus is the light, then we should join John the Baptist and John, the writer of this gospel, as witnesses to give that testimony of the true light who has come to the world and trust that by God's grace that he would cause many to be born again and receive and believe Jesus Christ. Only those who are born of God believe in Jesus and have the right to be called children of God.